to the School of Wellbeing podcast. I am your host, Meg Durham, wellbeing speaker, educator, and coach. I have taught and worked in schools across metropolitan and regional Australia, and I am dedicated to supporting big-hearted educators to prioritise their wellbeing and take courageous action despite the everyday pressures of school life. Because I want educators to know, you don't have to sacrifice your health, relationships and happiness to be a great teacher. Together, we are going to learn the lessons to help us teach well and be well. Let the learning begin. Hello and welcome to the School of Wellbeing Best of 2023 series. Today, I have the joy of sharing my conversation with leading mindset coach, Ben Crow. In this conversation, we explore what we can do to find our mojo and bring more fun, play and energy back into our lives. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Ben Crow. Ben, welcome to the 100th episode of the School of Wellbeing podcast. Meg, congratulations on 100. Hold the bat up. That's so cool. Today, we're going to be talking about finding our mojo. What do you hope teachers will gain from hearing this conversation? I'm hoping they gain a slightly different perspective, which by definition means the way you view something or your attitude towards something. And maybe just spend, I don't know, five, 10 minutes a day doing a bit of self-reflection or introspection work and, and realize the teachers, like everyone, we've got these mindset muscles that we're probably not dialing up. And one of them is self-compassion. Right, in particular teachers, and that's why I'm in awe of what you're doing, Meg. As much as I'm in awe of teachers, right? Um, teachers and nurses are two of my favourite humans on the whole planet. I have brothers and sisters who are both. My observations is just, you know, we're we're really hard on ourselves, and it's it's a profession that does not get enough support and credit, and teachers in particular, right, at the front line with with kids, has got to be one of the most important roles on the planet. But I think we're so focused on helping others. I think for teachers in particular, um, their greatest strength helping others is their greatest weakness in terms of helping themselves. So I'm hoping, Meg, there's a, I don't know, a couple of ideas or or so forth that might just help them along their journey. So why do you think finding our mojo is important? Nice, easy question off the back. Well, even just what finding your mojo actually means, right? For some, it's confidence. For some, it's finding their happiness. For some, it's finding their sweet spot in life or their purpose in life. But it's really, I guess, the importance of going on that journey to work out who you are, like, you know, work at it, but also work out who you're not, right? And kind of, we say, own your story and embrace your weird, kind of, you know, celebrate those imperfections. So work out who I am, what do I want, and then how do I get there? And if we don't, we often are just living an inauthentic life and it's often fear that holds us back of really connecting with who we are and living a life true to ourselves and by association feeling like we're you know living up to the expectations of others and, and, and so forth and just don't live the most fulfilled life, constantly feeling we've got to be, you know, prove ourselves or be the pleaser or, or, or so forth. So finding your mojo for me is just finding your authentic self first and foremost and celebrating you know those imperfections rather than berating them, being your own best friend and listening to your inner fan and the good wolf. And with that courage and love, rather than fear, kind of, you know, go about, go out into the world, right, without any guarantees that you'll win, but at least you'll be authentic. And, and for me, that's that's a win and, and, and that's success. So, you know, finding your mojo is different for, you know, what it means to you, Meg. Like similar, you know, your purpose might be different from my purpose. And finding mojo might just be finding peace, right? It might just be simplifying your life, being more content in your life as well and, you know, reducing activities rather than adding to them as well. So it's slightly different. 
because we're all on our own hero's journey. We all get distracted for different reasons and we're all, we're all here for different reasons, right? Yeah, at its core, that's why it's so important to, to spend some time just doing that self-reflection. As you're saying this, Ben, what comes to my mind is how often we don't even know what our mojo is. We haven't stopped long enough to even consider it for ourselves. We think so much about everybody else, but we're not very good at stopping to think, what do I want? What brings me joy? Yeah, totally. And you can't work out what you want until you work out who you are. Most of us actually don't want to do that work. So, you know, we keep the mask on and the armor on and we just go after what we want as a substitute. And the downside of that is if you do that, then one of two things happen. You either sell yourself short in life, you know, or love, you know, or professions with that constant, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not, I'm not worthy of this, this relationship I'm in, or I'm not worthy of this role that I'm in, which creates a kind of imposter syndrome. And that just constantly shows up throughout your life, right? In different costumes, constantly telling yourself a story that I'm not up something you might go after what you want as a substitute for who you are you know feeling that if i make that kind of money then i'll be validated then i'll be worthy you know then i'll be recognized or you know materialism car house handbag or you know corporate status or social status once i'm principal of the school then i'll be enough in the eyes of my parents or the eyes of my peers or yeah and we're constantly you know craving recognition of others so yeah, that's why it's so important to work out who you are and really who you are and be a verb, not a noun, you know, caring and kind rather than a, you know, a doctor, a teacher, or an athlete and show up from that perspective and then apply that to what you want, you know, your goals, your motivations, your dreams, your needs, you know, your values, your purpose and so forth. So yeah, it's a quirky process, Meg, but as I've said a few times, there's no, there's no such thing as human being school where you can learn to be a human being first and then a human doing. And you think about it, as soon as you go to primary school, you learn about achievements to make you feel significant. And we get compared. I'm in the A team, I'm in the B team, you know, I'm in the bell curve, I'm ATARs and scores and results. And I win a race, I get a blue ribbon, I work hard on my grades, I get an A or a gold star. And we just, secondary school's the same and university's the same and the workforce is the same. So, Unfortunately, we're constantly feeling like we have to do something or achieve something in order to be someone. And I think that's the, you know, I guess that's the tragedy of our time. Yes, you've still got a contribution because we've all got different skills and gifts that we've been given or that we're honing, right? In terms of the 10,000 hour kind of metaphor, but you know, what kind of human we want to be and apply those words to, you know, the various roles in our life. Unfortunately, there's no, where do you go to learn these things? And, you know, unfortunately, maybe with the breakdown of, I don't know, religion or government, you know, the cynicism driven by, you know, negative news media or the social comparison of social media or the, the shame-based advertising, we're just so distracted, Meg, on so many levels. But, you know, on a plus side, life is still beautiful, right? We're hardwired for connection to nature and animals and humans, and that hasn't changed. And I think if we can just, you know, get our perspective back to what's important and let go of what's not important kind of own our story in that way i think yeah life is still beautiful and there's still a lot of joy a lot of joy out there so yeah it's, it's counterintuitive unfortunately in terms of how we, we're currently thinking it's really beautiful how you bring up that distinction of being a human first and the job second because for so many of us we get so attached to our job and what we do so i am a teacher and that feels very different to I am a big-hearted human that teaches. You need both, right? Because I might be a a brother, a a son, I might be a teacher or a mentor and have technical capabilities. But then if you start tomorrow morning, Meg, and just say, okay, well, actually, let me put you on the spot. What kind of human does Meg want to be? Just give me a few words. Do you want to be playful or grateful or kind or caring or 
but for, for you, Meg, for the rest of your life, or just the rest of this year, we could just say the rest of this week, keep it easy, what kind of human do you want to be? What words would you give me? Joyful. Mm-hmm. Content. Yep. Present. Joyful, content, and present. Beautiful. Well, tomorrow morning, if you showed up from just those three words, right, joyful, content, and present, and you found as many opportunities throughout the various roles in your day, whether you're a teacher or a parent or a, you know, a wife or a sister or a friend, to be joyful and content and present, you're redefining success from the intrinsic perspective. And guess what? You actually control that human, right? You don't need anything external, do you? You don't need any validation. You don't need money. You don't need any material items for you to be joyful and content and present, right? You just decide, I'm going to be those things. You apply that to your teaching or whatever craft you've got, that's success. <laughs> you know, so you, you go for this internal scorecard first because there's so many things in your teaching or in any of your roles really that you kind of can't control the outcome of it. That one, like that's on you. And when you realize that, that you have that agency, there's, yeah, there's a lot of things I can't control, but that I can. And that's pretty exciting. You know, I've, I've got clients that when they realize that, some of them burst out laughing. But some of them burst out crying because they've been so caught up in the, you know, the persona of who they are, not the person. Their identity is in their business card or their role and, and so forth, their profession. And when you get caught up in that sense of identity, by definition, ego or fear often takes over as well. We start comparing ourselves against against each other. Again, all these uncontrollables start to start to shift in, right? So yes, there's realities in our roles as teachers in terms of our schools might be measuring themselves on results. And of course, results are important to every, every client I've ever had, right? But in terms of separating their self-worth from whether they achieve there and kind of redefining success as well, it's, that's, that's the opportunity for all of us. And even you asking me that question, what is it? As soon as I said those three words, my whole body relaxed and it felt like this is possible. I can do this. Totally. How cool is that? Yeah, you're, you're connecting with your authenticity in the most beautiful way. And I just, that's what I mean by, I think we're so distracted today because we're all going external for measuring ourselves or measuring success, but there's so much power and depth in going internal and, you know, to be more and to do less, right? And to be more connected to myself or my family or, or to friends or to nature and just to stop and smile and breathe and, and be present in the way you just did, right? Obviously, the words you chose were pretty powerful words, right? Joyful, content and present, right? They're, they're incredibly powerful. So well done you, Meg, for picking some pretty cool ones right off the bat. And then you just practice it, right? And you practice it. I mean, it's pretty hard to be present, you know, and especially with so many you know, external distractions and going up to their mind, but it's pretty hard to be content, especially if I'm comparing myself or think I have to live up to the expectations of my parents or my society, right? So yeah, you've chosen two beautiful ones as well. And the ultimate for me anyway is, is joyful, yeah, which is you know, as, as what Buddhists always say, you should be in a state of acceptance, a state of enthusiasm or a state of joy, right? But, and it's very basic level what we should be in a state of acceptance. But you, you've gone for joy, right? Which I don't think you get better than that, yeah? Well, I'm excited thinking about my future. A few times you've mentioned the idea of mindset muscles. What are some mindset muscles that you think all of us could do with strengthening a little bit? I'll give you three right off the bat, maybe. We can just start with it. I call them our AAA mojos, AAA 
mindset muscles. And we don't even realize we've got access to these muscles, let alone how to tap into them. The first AAA is agency. Unfortunately, we don't talk about it, right? I don't talk about agency. I don't know if you go to the pub, Meg, and talk about agency with your mates or whatever. <laughs> I think it's also called autonomy or accountability or self-determination, but they're even harder words to understand, in my opinion. But in its simplest form, agency means I have the power to decide and choose how I interpret the events of my life, how I find meaning from the activities of my life, right? And that's incredibly powerful because in that way, it's not what happens to us that matters. It's, it's how we respond, right? The fact that we've got a choice, it's our decisions, not the conditions that determines, you know, our attitude and our mindset in every situation. Just taking back control, just in that one aspect of our life, right, is just phenomenal. And you, how you practice this um, agency muscle is when these next two muscles come into play. The second one is acceptance muscle, which basically means nothing is ever that good or that bad, right? It just is what it is, right? And you just accept the brutal facts of our reality. You can accept that life is difficult. And once you accept that, it's no longer difficult because the power is in the acceptance. But we suck at agency, but we really suck at acceptance, right? So we just, we, that's why we get, we're just getting distracted. And, and the two acceptances that I get you know, clients to practice, one is accepting the things you can't control and letting them go and focusing back on what you can. But the second one is just accepting ourselves, right? Self-acceptance, that's slightly harder, but it's by far more transformational. So you can just accept and celebrate yourself um, rather than berate, as I mentioned. And the third one is, is appreciation, just focusing on what you've got rather than bitching and moaning for what you haven't got. And appreciation is from the gratitude family, you know, or the, the thankfulness family, the celebration family, the just feeling lucky family. And when you tap into acceptance and you tap into appreciation, but just realizing that you've got the power to determine your response to whatever happens, you know, you can turn adversity into possibility in the most incredible way. But as I said, most of us, you know, we just, we don't realize we can tap into this muscle. So we're letting the conditions of our environment determine whether we're happy or sad, which is just crazy, right? We're kind of abdicating responsibility for living. So in that way, when you tap into these muscles, it's not what happens. It's not the experiences of our life that determines our, you know, our lives. It's our interpretation, you know, of those experiences that determine it. And once you can realize that, the fourth one, if you wanted one more, is self-compassion, right? Because when you tap into self-compassion, and believe me, teachers need to tap into self-compassion a lot more because we're just so freaking hard on ourselves as a human race, all right? So cutting yourself some slack and, and being kinder and gentler is just a superpower right now as well. So yeah, there's just a few. I mean, I could talk all day just about those mindset muscles, Meg, but there are a few that if we can lean into them and, you know, I mean, all the content, you know, we've kind of, we launched Mojo in the middle of a pandemic, right? Just to kind of help people with Mojo Espressos and, and then created one product, which was the course. And in, in the last two years, while the feedback's been amazing, everyone's telling us that they just want access to, you know, just learning more about these mindset muscles or, you know, these other kind of exercises. So we, we've flipped our entire business now from, from a course to a, a membership where, we, you know, people can get access to understanding and, and then understanding how they can tap into, you know, appreciation, right? Which is simply a saying, you know, flipping it from, I got to go to school to, you know, I get to go to school. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's, there's simple ways you can start to practice these, these mindset muscles. So, or, or just writing an acceptance list on your way to school tomorrow morning, right? Just, you know, I do that every morning on my way to work and, and most of my clients do as well. But once you're okay, what's all the shit I need to accept today, Meg? And if I don't accept it, it's going to cause me to be anxious or stressed or whatever it is. You end up just smiling and laughing a lot more. You, you know, you just, 
accepting the, the ridiculous, incredulous nature of our world at the moment. And you just kind of have more fun with it, right? And uh, so there's some examples off the top of my head that um, people can, can access on the mindset muscles. I love thinking about this idea of mindset muscles and that we can strengthen each of them. And imagine what would be possible to us if we strengthened those muscles of agency, acceptance, appreciation, and self-compassion. I get excited just thinking about that possibility for each and every one of us. That's the opportunity right now, Meg. And I'd love, 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 love teachers to emulate it first for themselves Right, and really practice it and be role models in, in these elements because then they can teaching profession and the education system. I mean, what's more important on the planet? Like seriously, like so understanding these principles, but then obviously being able to teach the kids these principles as well. Monash Children's Hospital set up a school and uh, I'm not sure how, it could be a decade or so old, maybe longer. And they've got, I think they've got 28 teachers at this school. They've gone through all this work. Right, they've gone through the full Mojo program, you know, the full course. But what's incredible is they're now teaching the kids some of these simple exercises and some of these simple principles. And I just got back from the Philippines and visited a school set up by a freedom fighter to rescue girls from sex trafficking. And she saved thirty thousand girls over the last thirty years. Right, it's just incredible. She set up this school, and I spent time with the teachers at this school as well. And once you understand how powerful they can be for your own lives or your own kids' lives, then you can kind of, you know, I feel like you've got a responsibility to then teach the rest of the world these these skills as well. So yeah, I think that's the opportunity for, for all of us, Meg. But the research coming out of the US and the UK at the moment is we spend uh, one hour and 50 minutes every day stressed or anxious, right? That's seriously, that's 13 hours a week. And yet those who are winning in life at the moment are spending less than 10 minutes a day doing this beautiful self-reflection and introspection around these agency muscles and some other mantras and words that they've created for themselves. And it's, as I said, it doesn't guarantee you win the day, but it does guarantee you bring the best version of you to the day and to your various relationships. And in my opinion, Meg, that's success. Oh, that's the absolute success because as we become more aware of ourselves, then we can be more connected to the people that we're working with living with we're getting out of our own heads and into relationships and that's what i mean by your greatest strength becomes your greatest weakness but if you can just dedicate 10 minutes a day because the number one form of of acceptance is self-acceptance right you got to start with yourself first right the number one form of compassion is self-compassion the number one form of love is is self-love right so the process involves you to kind of find yourself and then lose yourself and find someone else to love but i just don't think we're we're doing the work for ourselves. We're not being kind to ourselves and giving ourselves that, you know, we, we call it selfish. And so, we'll, you know, we'll just deflect it or rationalize that, you know, and then, and, and then go external, as I mentioned earlier. I've often heard you talk about the demon of expectation. How does this play out in our lives? Oh, my God. I feel like I could talk for three days without taking a breath on this one word, Meg. But, <clears throat> yeah, when you and I were growing up, expectations used to mean something I can control 100%. Because you can't expect something you can't control, right? I can want the sun to come up tomorrow morning, but I can't expect it, right? You know, want to win the grand final, but I can't expect it. Problem today, because we're obsessed with results, obsessed with opinions of others, expectations now has been loosely defined as something I can't control, but still want to control it, which is the definition of anxiety and stress and pressure and worry and all these other things, right? And the 
beautiful book by Bronnie Ware, you know, the Australian hospice nurse, or you know, the deathbed, five deathbed regrets of the dying. The um, the number one deathbed regret is I wished I lived a life true to myself rather than the expectations of others. And the two expectations, in my opinion, that we really have to catch on and just get the hell out of our psychology. One is the expectations of outcome of the future which you can't control, obviously. And the second one is expectations of others because I can't control, Meg, what you think of me or what you expect of me. Once you realize there's a difference between goals and dreams that we absolutely want to put out into the world because that's a positive energy source, but there's no guarantees or promises or expectations that will achieve those goals or dreams, that's okay. But the only expectation of us is to focus on the things we can control you know, our intention, our effort, our training, and our mindset, right? And we find the words that represents the best version of ourselves and we kind of stay there. But yeah, if you can let go of the imaginary or unnecessary expectations that are crippling us today, right, and get back to focusing on just the courage to be me, there's these two needs that we all have. There's the need for attachment and there's the need for authenticity, and one is the need for that you feel like you're worthy of love and belonging and connection and, and attachment, right? And the other one is this need for authenticity, to have the courage to be mean, to live a life true to myself. But if we don't have that first need met, we don't think I'm worthy of love or belonging and attachment, I feel like we, we go searching for it. I think if I live up to the expectations of my parents or others, if I become the pleaser and so forth, it'll be the detriment of my authenticity. And that expectation of others prevents us from just being ourselves and having the courage to, to be me. And it comes from a place of love. And so, yeah, I feel, like, I feel like I'd love to strip that word out of the Oxford Dictionary, but that's just wrong because, it, you know, it does exist. In fact, there's a beautiful story. Patrick Kisnobo was the coach of Melbourne City a few years ago, the whole mojo journey. And I think they'd lost, you know, five, five or six games in, in a row early on. He did this work and he understood the difference between the goals and expectations <laughs> And he decided to ban the word from the club, right, from the players. And I think that, you know, head of HR, you know, city football group overseas said, you know, Patrick, you can't ban a word, right? It's in the Oxford Dictionary. Like, you can't ban it. And he goes, just watch me. <laughs> well, anyway, I think they won 14 in the last 15 games or whatever, and he became the first coach in A-League history to win the, the Cup and the Shield in his first year as coach and win the W League and the A-League, right? So... We are so distracted by this imaginary word called expectations and, and it's kind of sabotaging us from being authentic. Last week when we caught up, you said something really striking that I keep thinking about is how we can move from this idea of expectations towards experimentation. Where did that come from? Yeah, if you trade your life from living up to expectations of others but flip that into experimentation, that life is just this beautiful experiment, this adventure, this kind of work in progress, this hero's journey into the unknown where you're allowed to make mistakes, you're allowed to get it wrong, you're allowed to be imperfect and that's okay because it also taps into our imagination and taps into spontaneity and opportunity and, and wonder and, and awe, right? All these incredible intrinsic elements that are, you know, when we tap into our imagination in the most beautiful way that unlocks these things and life is beautiful, right? There's uncertainty obviously, but in my opinion, that's the exciting thing, right? When we, when we, look at life and our perspective in life from that frame of reference, from that perspective, rather than, oh my God, I've got to live up to the expectations, the opinions of others and comparing ourselves to others and so forth, which just shrouds us in fear and, and self-doubt. And I don't even know what other people's expectations are, right? Let alone try and live up to them. So it's taking more agency to treat life in the most beautiful way when you, when you trade expectation to 
experimentation. It just unlocks the most beautiful way to, to think about yourself and your role and, and life in general. So I've seen it work really well with, with a lot of our clients, both teenagers and, and adults alike. What you're offering here, Ben, is a whole new way to view our lives and to see the joy that is available to us right now. We don't have to wait. We don't need permission to do any of this work. That's what I mean. That's what we talk about perspective a lot in our work, right? Because I just feel like we've lost perspective and, and be, I think we've just been distracted by all these extrinsic motivations. We're not owning our story, you know, and the three biggest storytellers on the planet is the media industry, the social media industry, the advertising industry. You know, one's predicated on negativity, one invokes a lot of comparison and social comparison. And advertising, unfortunately, is quite shame-based because you're not enough, something you're not pretty enough or good enough until you have that perfume or the, you know, that, that car and so forth. So if we don't wake up every morning and own our own story and find out who we are and what we believe and what we don't believe, then we just get distracted in the, in the worst possible way. And that's what's exciting, Meg, is just, you know, we just created Mojo as an experiment. I knew the principles worked, having used them for many decades, but yeah, I guess it's crazy the, you know, the feedback we're getting all over the world from the podcast to, you know, to the app, to the exercises and so forth. And, you know, I mean, I'm excited that a lot of our clients are, you know, winning world championships and winning, you know, grand slams and, and so forth. But really, really excites me is, is when they redefine success from the intrinsic perspective because then they don't have to wait to be happy or you know wait to be successful when you fall in love with the process of you know just what kind of human you want to be in your case joyful and present and content you still have these big goals and dreams the things you want to achieve right whether it's for yourself or your family or your colleagues um, and I don't want anyone to stop dreaming big with that you know why not me and why not out why not now kind of attitude, but you just don't attach your self-worth to whether you'll get there or not. And if you get that balance right, it's a it's a really beautiful place, but we're just so distracted today on, on so many levels, it's kind of sabotaging our authenticity. So what are some practical strategies that we can start to use to really help us dial down those distractions and increase the focus on who we are and where we want to go? Well, just, you know, we talked about the mindset muscles, right, in, in particular around agency. The, there's three types of confidences that we work on with with individuals, and all these interventions, by the way, are available in the uh, you know in the Mojo app. The first one is self confidence. The second one is confidence in how we connect with others, and the third one is performance confidence. But it always starts with self confidence, right? Which involves us to think of A, B, C: acceptance, belief, and confidence. The two pillars that unlock self confidence is self acceptance and self belief. So we need to practice accepting. Things about ourselves might be my body image. This is my lot in life. This is my financial status, right? It doesn't mean you have goals you want to get better at. It'd be just in its first, just accepting who you are, celebrating who you are. And then a lot of it is working on believing being that you are worthy, yeah, believing that you are enough to be in the arena and, and have the courage to, to live a life true to ourselves. So, and so doing the work to kind of make sense of our belief system involves re potentially reframing elements about ourselves, right? And to have, know that we've got that power because you think about where belief comes from, right? It kind of comes from our life story. Right? Things happen to us in life and we believe a certain thing, you know, good or bad, right or wrong about, our, about ourselves or the world or our place in the world. But unfortunately, with our, you know, reptilian brain with a negative bias, it's more negative than positive, in particular about ourselves, right? So um, doing the work to really kind of reframe our belief system and, and have it from our inner fan, not our inner critic, and find the words which represents the best version of ourselves. So some really simple exercises is, you know, 
just maybe for understanding how powerful your agency muscles are, let's tap into appreciation, right? And just maybe write a got to get to list, Meg, which might be, okay, what's three things I'd normally say I gotta, right? I gotta cook dinner for the kids tonight. I gotta go to work. I gotta teach kids. I gotta help a client, whatever it is. And then flip the O to an E and change it to I get to. I get to teach the kids. I get to help a client. I get to spend some time with my with my soulmate, because as soon as you do that flip from an O to E, it changes from expectation and entitlement to, you know, appreciation and, and feeling lucky. You know, I'm so lucky I get to do these things. So that's a really simple exercise just to tap into our appreciation muscle. Yeah. You know, just there's so many other acceptance muscle. As I said, just how often have we ever developed an acceptance list, Meg? So I'll put you back on the spot again. So, okay. What are some things for tomorrow that you need to accept about yourself or the world, you know, your place in the world that, you know, literally, okay, that if you don't accept it, it's going to keep you up at night or it's going to maybe distract you. What would be just one or two things off the top of your head? The weather and other people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Accept the weather. It is what it is, right? I'm guessing it's pretty cold down in Geelong at the moment, yeah? Although you probably have a tiny pocket of sunshine, yeah, beach houses down the way, so I know how cold it gets this time of year, right? Yeah, except that you've got to put other layers of clothing on. Accept other people, right? Accept my calendar. Accept these things. It's really, it's, it's really, really simple. And your brain knows, right? Intuitively, you know the things that, yeah, I just got to accept that and let it go. Otherwise, I'm going to complain. I'm going to moan. I'm going to judge. You know what I mean? And it just distracts us from the best version of ourselves. So. I mean, there's lots of little exercises that you can use to train up your perspective muscles, you know, those triple A's, but there's also really simple exercises you can do to win the morning and, and win the day, right? So, you know, one of the simplest exercises that our clients do right at the, the get-go is just to, you know, kind of find their, an early happy memory. Uh, we all want to get excited about things looking forward to in our lives. Sometimes we can just go back and do that reflection. And if you find an early happy memory, Meg, um, it could have been a few years ago, or it could have been in your, your childhood um, years. You'll find a memory, and if I asked you to unlock the words that best describes how that young girl Meg was feeling in that memory, you'll probably find a derivative of happy, right? Because it's a happy memory, but you'll also find excited and adventurous, or or free, or carefree, or or safe, or warm, or loved, right? And all you're doing is you're, you're reconnecting with your authenticity. Now, those those words that we found when you were five years old. You can show up from that, that girl's perspective today. I have a lot of clients that do that every day. They go back to their early happy memory words and reconnect with that young boy or young girl that was able to show up without consequence and tapped into that childlike imagination and dialed up more play, more creativity, yeah, more, more spontaneity, more fun, so forth. And you can kind of show up from that place. And in my opinion, adults, by far, we've lost that one capacity. If someone says to me, right, Ben, what's, what's the one thing, what's the one piece of advice you'd give me right now? I'd say, do whatever you can to bring more play into your life right now. But it's just, yeah, because the opposite of play isn't work. It's, it's fear, right? And we've just become so fearful today. And yet, as an answer, though, to that, tapping into play, into that curiosity, have fun, you play games, you know, imagine, imaginative, you're more curious, right? As I said, so, you know, the spontaneity and wonder and all these things kind of get unlocked when we get more playful as well. So, yeah. Oh, Ben, those suggestions are so powerful. And the beautiful thing about each and every one of them is they're simple. However, the impact is significant. I know for me, before I walk onto a stage to give a talk to teachers, 
I tap into the young girl that used to play schools and that is the energy that I want to bring and it just works. And so this is highlighting how important the work you're sharing in the world is because they're small things that can really transform our lives and take us from this idea of this victimhood and I can't do anything, it's all too hard, to there is magic. There is so much available to us if we're willing to do the work. To wrap up this incredible conversation, I'd love to invite you to finish four sentences. Are you up for that? I don't. I don't do vulnerability, Meg. I just. I just. <laughs> I just. I just talk about it. Um, but <laughs> no, of course, of course, I'm up for it, Meg. The um, but on what you just said there, by the way, when you get up to give a talk, um, I love that because that's the secret sauce. The reason why public speaking is the number one fear on the planet for humans. Well, first and foremost, we're not, we're not tapping into the things we can control. So in that case, I'm guessing you're excited before you walk on stage. But if we focus on things we can't control, geez, what will they think of me? What if it doesn't work? We'll be anxious and anxiety and excitement are kind of two sides of the same coin, right? In that case, you're focused on the things you can control. But the reason that public speaking is the number one fear is, and it's the number one mistake that all leaders make, by the way, is that we think it's about us. When, when you get up on stage... It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the impact you're going to have on the audience, right, to educate them or inspire them. It's, and it's the same in leadership, right? The number one mistake leaders make all over the world is they think it's, I've got to have the answers, right? It's about, uh-uh, it's got nothing to do with you. Your role, when you become a leader or a teacher or a parent, your role is to create an environment to help others realize their potential, yeah? It's about them, to serve them, to love them, and to be interested, not interesting. And the most amazing thing about that, Meg, from a perspective point of view, as soon as you flip like that, you move from I to we, but you also lose ego and fear. And I Because it's not about you, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm not digressing by the four questions you want to ask me, but you just tapped into something else. So let's get these four questions out, otherwise this podcast will go for three days. I am inspired by... I'm inspired by the thousands of responses that we are receiving from every demographic or, or psychographic about the impact that I guess this, this work is having and having the courage, as I said, just 10 minutes every day by, by that feedback. That's what kind of, you know, it's the privilege of a lifetime to, to do what we do, but that's probably what keeps me going, in particular teenagers, right? The fact that these principles can be pushed down as, as low as possible is pretty cool. When life feels hard? Accept it. <laughs> accept that life is difficult, right? Because as soon as you accept it, it's no longer that, that difficult and you've kind of got a process to tap into curiosity to kind of work through it. But I'd also say what Ted Lasso says, when life gets difficult, um, buy yourself some scissors and cut yourself some slack, right? And, and tap into that self-compassion and just be a bit kinder and gentler with yourself. And then by association, you'll be the same with, with others as well. An underrated skill is? Eye contact. I think eye contact is incredibly powerful, especially in, in human connections because if you look at someone deeply into the eyes, Meg, you can see so much more than if you were just kind of you know, listening, listening to them as well. I'd also say smiling is an incredibly underrated practice as well. I'd say breathing or box breathing, you know, belly breathing, is incredibly powerful to send a mind hack to the brain that, that everything's going to be okay. But probably the most underrated skill that's just not taught or even understood, in my opinion, is generous assumptions, right? And, you know, what's the most generous assumption I can make by why that parent or that teacher spoke to me that way or why that email was written in a certain way or why I wasn't invited to that meeting or whatever it is. But 
yeah, when you can apply generous assumptions to your family or your workforce, you just immediately unlock empathy and compassion in the most powerful way. Especially if you apply generous assumptions to, you know, making sense of your story, you end up just forgiving, right? You might be forgiving your parents and you say, you know what, they're probably doing the best job they could given the circumstances of what little training or skills they had being a parent, right? So yeah, probably the power of generous assumptions is a, is a yeah, pretty underrated skill. And I am looking forward to? My next holiday? I'm looking forward to, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting my shoulder right. And I've been out for 12 months with, uh, with shoulder surgery so I can go surfing and play golf and follow my passions as well. I'm looking forward to these principles being pushed and, and socialized, right? And as I said, finding more self-compassion and being kinder to ourselves and, and kinder to others as well. So yeah, hopefully one day these principles are, and maybe one day there's a human being school. Yeah, Meg, that'd be pretty cool. Uh, we can learn how to be a human being first and a, and a human doing second. So yeah, that's, that's probably my life purpose and I'll, I'll keep going in that till I kick. Ben, thank you so much for helping us to unlock our mojo and to really strengthen these mindset muscles that are available to us in every single day. And thank you for being a guest on the School of Wellbeing podcast. My pleasure, Meg. Continue to do the amazing, beautiful, inspiring work that you're doing as well. Keep going. Thank you for listening to this episode, and I look forward to returning with new episodes of the School of Wellbeing from Friday the 19th of January. Until then, take care and take deliberate action. Deliberate action.